Introduction of Vegetarianism and Occultism by C. W. Leadbeater. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrea Fiore. Vegetarianism and Occultism by C. W. Leadbeater. Introduction. In speaking the relation between vegetarianism and occultism, it may be well for us to begin by defining our terms. We all know what is meant by vegetarianism, and although there are several varieties of it, it will not be necessary to discuss them. The vegetarian is one who abstains from eating flesh food. There are some of them who admit such animal products as are obtained without destroying the life of the animal as for example milk butter and cheese there are others who restrict themselves to certain varieties of the vegetable to fruit and nuts perhaps there are others who prefer to take only such food as can be eaten uncooked others will take no food which grows underground such as potatoes turnips carrots etc we need not concern ourselves with these divisions but simply define the vegetarian as one who abstains from any food which is obtained by the slaughter of animals, of course including birds and fish. How shall we define occultism? The word is derived from the Latin occultus, hidden, so that it is the study of the hidden laws of nature. Since all the great laws of nature are in fact working in the invisible world far more than the visible, Occultism involves the acceptance of a much wider view of nature than that which is ordinarily taken. The occultist, then, is a man who studies all the laws of nature that he can reach, or of which he can hear, and as a result of his study, he identifies himself with these laws and devotes his life to the service of evolution. How does occultism regard vegetarianism? It regards it very favorably and that for many reasons. These reasons may be divided into two classes, those which are ordinary and physical, and those which are occult or hidden. There are many reasons in favor of vegetarianism, which are down here on the physical plane, and patent to the eye of anyone who will take the trouble to examine the subject, and these will operate with the occult student even more strongly than with the ordinary man. In addition to these, and altogether beyond them, the occult student knows of other reasons which come from the study of those hidden laws, which are as yet so little understood by the majority of mankind. We must therefore divide our consideration of these reasons into two parts, first taking the ordinary and physical. Even these ordinary reasons may themselves be subdivided into two classes, the first containing those which are physical, and as it were, selfish, and secondly those which may be described as the moral and unselfish considerations. First, then, let us take the reasons in favor of vegetarianism, which concern only the man himself, and are purely upon the physical plane. For the moment, we will put aside the consideration of the effect upon others, which is so infinitely more important and think only of the results for the man himself. It is necessary to do this. 
This because one of the objections frequently brought against vegetarianism is that it is a beautiful theory, but one the working out of which is impractical, since it is supposed that a man cannot live without devouring dead flesh. That objection is irrational and is founded upon ignorance or perversion of facts. I am myself an example of its falsity, for I have lived without the pollution of flesh food, without meat, fish, or fowl, for the last thirty-eight years, and I not only still survive, but I have been during all that time in remarkably good health. Nor am I in any way peculiar in this, for I know some thousands of others who have done the same thing. I know some younger ones who have been so happy as to be unpolluted by the eating of flesh during their whole lives, and are distinctly freer from disease than those who partake of such things. Assuredly, there are many reasons in favor of vegetarianism from the purely selfish point of view, and I will put that first, because I know that the selfish considerations will appeal most strongly to the majority of people, though I hope that in the case of those who are studying theosophy, we may assume that the moral considerations, which I shall later adduce, will sway them far more forcibly. End of Introduction Recording by Andrea Fiore